Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to begin studying this book. It's very short, one of the minor prophets. We're going to begin studying this book over the next couple of weeks. And if you're wondering where in the world Habakkuk is, which I'm sure that everybody else does that, it even takes me a minute, it's directly after Nahum. It's one of the minor prophets. It's closer to the very end of the Old Testament. And I'll give you a minute to look up in the front where it, what page it is on in your Bible. Um, make no mistake, if I didn't have the Bible that I use every single day, I'd have to look in the front, too, to figure out what page it's on. <laughs> so it takes a minute to find. We're going to begin reading in the first verse, and just read the first three verses this morning as we give a small introduction to the book of Habakkuk, which we will title, Wrestling with God. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear even cry out unto thee a violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Here Habakkuk begins with a very open heart. Now, in today's times, you notice a very similar theme uh, people will bring as almost a witness against the biblical God of the Bible. You hear often, especially those that maybe go to college and take one semester or two semesters in um, philosophy or maybe sociology, but psychology, but typically philosophy, they'll hear... Um, one class, one course, and they will immediately begin to ask this question. If God is so very good, if God is so good, if he can do all things, if nothing is beyond his reach, if he's completely powerful, which all those things are a good confession, aren't they? God is good. God is powerful. There is nothing he cannot do according to his will. And attributes. But with that said, they'll, they'll start with that part. They'll start with a good confession. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-knowing, if God can do anything, then why does evil exist in the world? Why does bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen at all? Why is the world the way that it is? This past week, we had a Remembrance Day a Remembrance Day for a tragedy that happened, I believe, some 18 years ago this year. And we all say, remember when. But when it happened, we were saying, why did this happen? Such a tragedy, such a tragedy that happened some 18 years ago. And some of you that are older have more memories uh, of national tragedies that have happened. Um, I remember as a youth what we call the Oklahoma sitting bombing. It's frightening to me. No, I shouldn't say frightening. It's sobering that I'm getting older when I talk to people and they don't know what that is, right? <laughs> they don't know what that is. Or I, maybe I'm talking to somebody and they were actually now in college 
that w don't do not remember where they were on September 11th, 2001, because they're so young. It's kind of funny, right? But some of us that are old, some of y'all that are older, and even me, who's younger, we have certain memories of things that made us ask why. Take it from a national level to a more individual, personalized level. There are things that happen on a yearly basis very often. Things that happen. Things that will rock our faith in a sense. We'll say, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Why, Lord, did this happen? And this book is written with that in mind. Habakkuk is asking, Lord, why? Really, in the first chapter, he doesn't ask why. He's asking, Lord, when? Because he's saying, when are you going to fix this? And then when God answers him, he's going to turn around and then say, hold up, Lord, why that way? Well, Habakkuk is an interesting character that's not really mentioned anywhere else. It's, he's really exclusively here, and we don't really know much about him. Some people believe he's possibly a Levite that was a royal singer. Some people believe that he's possibly uh, somebody that was a singer in the temple, and the reason that they say that is because in the third chapter he mentions singing praises to God, and he actually writes a psalm in the third chapter. Now, it's not a psalm as what we would call a psalm, a psalm that we would exclusively put in that book of poetry, but he still writes a song there as he sings praises to God, and some people believe that it's possible that he is somebody that was there writing hymns and singing praises to God, somebody that was there giving praise to God in the temple, and they believe that's possible. That's possibly what it, he, who he is. Well, his name is interesting. His name is interesting. This word Habakkuk means to embrace or possibly even to wrestle. So here when it says to embrace or to wrestle, we're given an image not just of, you know, who he is, but his purpose as a prophet. Uh, very, you know, I, my parents named me Josh because they liked the name. They gave me Vaughn because dad was, his middle name was Vaughn, Joshua Vaughn Winslet. His first name, my dad's name was Dexter. I lucked out, right? <laughs> I got Vaughn, not Dexter. <laughs> Joshua Dexter Winslet doesn't have the same ring to it that Joshua Vaughn Winslet does. It, it sounds better, as it were. Well, here, um, the name Habakkuk has a meaning. It's not just he's given a name so that he may, you know, uh, they didn't just say, I like the name Habakkuk. I, if I, I promise this was not one of the names on our list when we were naming boys. You know, oh, Habakkuk Winslet, how are you? You know, I told Rebecca a lot of funny names that I would love to name the boys just to harass them, and I would have done it too if I hadn't had the rock of my wife to keep me from doing it. But here in the Old Testament, typically somebody is given a name because it's their purpose. It's their purpose. And here Habakkuk is given this name, which means to embrace or to wrestle. Um, in one way, we could look at this wrestling. The very first four words, the burden which Habakkuk, the burden which Habakkuk. This term wrestle, attached to that word burden, may be that his burden as a prophet was wrestling with God and with what he saw around him, the injustices he saw, the problems he saw, the evil things he saw, the bad things he saw, he may have been there seeing these tragedies and wondering why they're happening, and so he's wrestling with God as his burden. He is wrestling with, his, with God. And in all honesty, you'll see in the first two chapters, he is very much a very honest person. Now, 
we often uh, will talk to each other and mention prayer requests and say, how you doing? And most people, when we say, how are you doing? What we're really asking is, hey. <laughs> I, 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 it's kind of funny. I got so used to saying ni hao for two weeks in China because it means, how are you? Ni hao, how are you? And it's just this general way of saying, how are you doing? Well, you know, we mean that as pleasantries. How are you? How are you? And we're not really asking, how are you, right? We're just kind of saying, hey. You know, we don't really want to know how somebody's doing. We just want to say, hey. Well, Habakkuk here goes past where we are comfortable and opens up in front of us as a prophet to show his intimate feelings from his heart. Not just a prophet that speaks to God or speaks to the people for God, as most prophets of the Old Testament did. You know, we often say that a king was to rule under God, the prophet was to speak for God, and the priest was to offer sacrifice to God for the people. So this is a different kind of prophet because Habakkuk's not like Nahum, the book directly before him, going to the uh, Ninevites and preaching judgment against them, or Jonah who preached against the Ninevites. He's not preaching against people for God. Jeremiah, who called woes to the people and lamented in the book of Lamentations to the people. This is different because he's not speaking to the people here. What Habakkuk is doing is turning his heart and mind as a prophet to God and wrestling with the questions of his heart. He's a very honest person here. This, in a sense, is one of the most pastoral one of the most pastoral books in the Old Testament. We look at the book of Job and see the troubles that he had for some 40 chapters, and he is going through uh, wrestling with, uh, God, I know you're just. Why did this happen? Why am I enduring these problems? And Job wrestles with these, and it's this long conversation between Job and his friends going back and forth, arguing back and forth, wondering why this happened and God finally answers, here we have a shorter version of this. You could call this Job in miniature, this minor prophet. It's not minor because it's lesser, but it's a minor prophet because it is smaller in the words that are written in it. But it's a very pastoral epistle. It tells a very honest view of the heart of a child of God, of a believer as it were, he gives a very honest view as Habakkuk has a burden. But it's more than just that he is wrestling in his burden. Martin Luther made the statement that it's possible that the name Embrace or Habakkuk wasn't just in reference to him wrestling, as it were, with God, but Habakkuk as an embracer was not just wrestling with the knowledge he was given from the Lord, but he was equally what? Habakkuk was embracing or comforting the people by the end of his book. So the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, we have this specific person, this specific individual, this specific person turning his heart and mind to God. Well, it's not really going to mean much to us as we read this epistle if we're not also equally knowing what's going on in, in the backdrop. 
What's happening? Why is Habakkuk feeling this way? It's one thing if a child doesn't have the favorite cereal that he wants in the morning and he turns around and says, this is the worst day, right? <laughs> this is so bad. This is, this is just miserable. You know, that, that I just really wanted those Lucky Charms, those Fruity Pebbles, those Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I just had, it's the worst day. I woke up and I wasn't given my the cereal that I just needed. You know, it's one thing if Habakkuk woke up and didn't have the specific food that he wanted, yet still had a cabinet full of food. It's another thing if he wakes up and sees injustices surrounding him and a society fully given over to wickedness and fully given over to idolatry and fully given over to ungodliness. You see, we don't really understand what is going on in the book of Habakkuk if we are not equally aware of why Habakkuk felt the way that he did. Okay, where are we at here in the book of Habakkuk? Well, first, in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a resident in the southern kingdom. Now, Habakkuk is there, the southern kingdom. You'll remember after the time of David, Solomon was king, and then Solomon specifically, there was a problem that happened uh, in Solomon's reign to where his kingdom was rent because of his father David, his house would be full of blood and strife. And then you have Solomon coming on, was given over to idolatry. The kingdom was split, and you have a northern and a southern kingdom. Um, Here, we have Habakkuk living in the southern kingdom. Actually, when we see the time period it is, the northern kingdom was no more at this point. It was exclusively the southern kingdom. Uh, He is living in the southern kingdom. That means he is living where the temple was. He's living where David's tribe was, the tribe of Judah. That's why we call it Israel, the northern kingdom, and then the southern kingdom we call Judah because most of the other tribes were with the northern kingdom and Judah stayed exclusively as their own nation. It's split. Well, he's there. He's where the true worship of God was. He is where they worshiped God in as, as it were, how God commanded them, where God commanded them. He's there. He's, as it were, in the right place. He's in the place that outlived their big sister up north. He's in the place where they didn't have bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. In the northern kingdom, once you saw that split, all there was was bad kings. In the southern kingdom, it typically went good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Doesn't politics stay the same throughout history? Good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. I mean, I, uh, uh, our financial guy always reminds me every year I have to meet with him, and he says, just remember, don't get worried about the market because it's always three up and one down. And he said, I know it seems bad at one point, but historically, if you look over the U.S. market, it will go three up, one down. So don't freak out when it goes one down. And it's the same way with politics. And here in the southern kingdom, you had one, one up, one down, one up, one down. Well, here, the time period in which Habakkuk lived was probably around the year 609 to 600. And remember, we're talking B.C., so we're counting backwards as we go to year one when Christ, around the time Christ was born, then going back up to where we are now in 2019. So year 609 to year 600 is when we're talking about B.C., before Christ. Now, this was directly after the time in which Josiah lived. Josiah is my favorite king of the Old Testament. He was somebody that there was not a single negative said about. 
He was a person that took the throne at around year eight, somebody that saw the injustices and wickedness of his uh, surroundings and found the word of God and the temple of God, and he reestablished temple worship and re started rebuilding and doing that which was right. And God said, because you're so good, I'm going to take you home to be, with the, to be with me before the evil days really come. Because the southern kingdom, not learning from the destruction a hundred years earlier of the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom had Manasseh, who did later repent in life. And it says Manasseh saw the Lord, but it lived such a wicked life that God was going to destroy the kingdom. So Judgment was already given to the southern kingdom, and Josiah couldn't do anything to change that. At this point, God already gave the judgment, so to give Josiah a gift, he says, I'm going to bring you home with me. And as Josiah goes to meet the Egyptians as they're crossing through Israel, uh, Judah's land and go to fight Babylon, he meets them saying, you can't go through our land, and then he's killed. God takes him home. Well, his son, Jehoiakim, takes over after him. And what we read in Second Kings chapter... 23 and verse 37, you don't have to turn here, but you can read a little description of this king, Jehoiakim, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. All the reforms that Josiah had made in the kingdom, everything that had happened went downhill because of the wicked king that came after him. So we have this view of a wicked king. And what's interesting about this, this time period, though the wickedness of this king prevailed throughout Israel, it was actually a time of national prosperity. They were, you know, the stock market was up, right? Everybody had jobs. Everybody was doing good. Everybody's happy. Everybody has, as it were, as the old saying goes, a chicken in their pot and a car in every garage. Everybody had exactly what they wanted. This should teach us that national prosperity is not a gauge of the spiritual health of a church, right? So, or of a nation. Sometimes you look and say, oh, the stock market's up, we're doing good. And people say, we're, we don't elect a pastor, right? That's the mantra. We're not electing a pastor, we're electing a leader. Well, I remind us that just because there's national prosperity does not mean God's judgment is not against a nation. That should bring us a little bit of sobriety to consider the way that as believers in Jesus Christ, we act in a nation and the way that we pursue God. Because here they had really good times, yet Habakkuk, being objective in his view, saw the really good times not necessarily helping, but actually hindering in some sense, and began to wrestle with God. Why are you allowing the nation around me to live in such wickedness? You can even see further passes in Jeremiah chapter 22, further description of this king and what's going on. I'm giving you a little bit of an image of what's happening here. Again, remember under the backdrop, you had one good king, the nation begins to do good. Uh, there is national prosperity. And then in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 13 through 17 reads, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work. That saith, I will build me a wide house and a large chambers, and cutteth him out windows, and it is sealed with cedar, and painted with vermilion. Shalt thou reign, because thou closest thyself in cedar? Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice, and then it was well with him? He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him. 
Was not this to know me, saith the Lord, but thine eyes and thine heart are not but for thy covetousness and for to shed innocent blood and for oppression and for violence to do it. So he says, your father did good, but you're not, Jehoiakim. You're not doing as I commanded you. Um, your father did justice and judgment and did that which was right, but now you are not. And this was actually a man that when Jeremiah brought the prophecy to him, took it and ripped it up. <laughs> took the prophecy of the Lord and ripped it into pieces. Like that stops God, right? <laughs> you can destroy every printed Bible in the world and God's word is going to be preserved. He will not let it fall. As Romans chapter 3 tells us, shall the unbelief of them make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. It doesn't matter if it is the unbelief of the righteous or wicked. God's faith, his word, and his faithfulness to complete that word will come to fruition. Amen. Jeremiah just kept bringing it over and over again. He'd rip it up, he'd bring it back. <laughs> that would make me angry if I was the king. I would, how are you doing this? I just ripped this up and you brought it back. Well, this is a wicked king. This is a wicked civilization, yet you see even injustices that are happening. Um, it's, in, it's not just implicit here, it's explicit as it talks about the, he buildeth his house by unrighteousness, his chambers by wrong, and he uses his neighbor's service without wages. He's describing a society that is solely built on covetousness, greed, and exploiting other people. How sober is that? You know, I am probably more libertarian and capitalistic than most people. Um, I am probably one of those people that I've told you before, my mantra is get off my lawn. <laughs> Let me do what I want to do and leave me alone. However, freedom while exploiting others is wicked. Amen? It is full wickedness to exploit others well, here in Jeremiah chapter 22, you see how it is kind of embodied what is going on in the nation of Israel. Well, moving back to Habakkuk, you're given an image where it is uh, Habakkuk wrestling with what is going on around them, the specific burden, the specific issue this prophet Habakkuk gives, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Well, now we know who Habakkuk was, where he was at, the southern kingdom. We know when he was. He was specifically in this reign of the wicked king. Well, what is Habakkuk doing? What is Habakkuk doing? Habakkuk is writing a prayer. Now, I mentioned earlier that we have a specific difference here with Habakkuk than we do with other prophecies. Now, in the book of Habakkuk, you're going to see not him turning the word of the Lord to other people. Again, Jeremiah took the word of God and took it out to the people, to the king. Isaiah did the same thing. You can see Zechariah uh, doing the same thing. You see Jonah, Nahum. Uh, you see all of these people taking the word of God specifically to the people. This prophecy is different in that it is a man who is taking his heart of sorrow to the Lord. It's an honest...
Sure. Um, right now, uh, excuse us, we're going to have a word of prayer. Uh, we have had a member that is having a health issue right now for those that are watching right now on the live stream. Um, and we are going to have a short word of prayer. He's about to be taken to the hospital. So we ask that you pray for Brother Ronnie. But because the house of God is a house of prayer, we want to stop the study real quick and say a prayer for our good friend and brother. So let us bow now. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, our gracious God, we thank you so much for first your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can have the ability to worship this morning. But Lord, as we turn our heads down, as we turn our hearts up, we ask that you would be with Brother Ronnie at this time. Uh, be with him and the doctors and the EMTs that take him to the hospital. Lord, allow him to have a clean bill of health. Allow the doctors and those that are working on him to be able to, uh, Lord, know what is wrong. Let your providence and your sovereignty take over him and them. Lord, we pray that his dear spouse would have comfort in knowing that you are a God who provides and hears prayers. Lord, let us not weep, but let us rejoice to know that you are always with us and that you never forsake us. Please be with him now in Christ's name, and amen. Thank you. And not just the uh, where and when, but equally the what of the prophecy. This is a place where Habakkuk is going to turn his mind and heart to God and begin to speak to God specifically the burden of his heart. Now, I know we pray, and as we just had a word of prayer for our dear brother, and I ask that those that are watching and those in the congregation to continue to pray for Brother Ronnie Ferris. But we often pray, and I've noticed um, I learned to pray because I heard my dad pray, and I began to take on some of those same traits. You know, I would say, Heavenly Father, because Dad said that. I remember the first time I let one of my children pray, and they bowed their head, and they said, Dear Heavenly Father, and I thought, I need to change up a little bit, because <laughs> they are praying the same things I'm doing. I need to, I need to switch it up. And I, I patterned that prayer, and sometimes prayer can almost be just repetitive. We're doing the same thing over and over. An honest prayer is typically not the one we show to everybody else. An honest prayer is typically one that we have in our closet and that we have in our private time, that we have in our private space. And here, Habakkuk, we have a window of Habakkuk's private prayer that really images ours. Why is this? Because he's crying out to God. He's pretty honest. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Now, Habakkuk comes out not disrespectful to God. You know, I'm not going to look at God and shake my fist, but at the same time, sometimes God tells us to come boldly through his son, and that's the only way we can come boldly. As he looks up, he says, Oh, Lord, I've cried and I have felt that you have not heard. Lord, you have not heard me. Lord, are you really listening to me? He's not being disrespectful here, but this is the honest cry of a believer in Jesus Christ when everything around them is going wrong and nothing seems to be right. And he feels as though he's not heard. Habakkuk turns up and asks, when? That's the first question he asks is when. When will you hear me? Now we're going to see that God answers him. One thing that frightens all of us, it's sobering, it's exciting, 
God hears every prayer that we ever give to him. In, second, in 1 Peter chapter 3, God hears the prayers of the righteous. He does hear us. He does. But not only is that exciting, it's sobering. Because <laughs> God may just answer, right? God answers. And when God answers, Habakkuk is not left, oh, that makes sense, Lord. <laughs> he looks and says, Lord, that makes less sense than I had before. And then he turns around and is going to say, Lord, I'm now no longer asking when, but I'm going to ask why. Why are you answering my prayer like this? Why are you answering my prayer like this? But this ends up leading towards another place that he gives us at the end. Why does he give us this epistle? It ends in praise. Three places we see that are important, two that are mentioned in the New Testament, and then the final one that is not mentioned in the New Testament, but I believe to be a prophecy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5, you see it writ, you see Habakkuk here uh, after he prays to God, God answers him, and God says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. So here we see the first place where this specific prophecy is mentioned in the New Testament. And it's mentioned in Acts chapter 13, verse 41. That is a sermon to a bunch of Gentiles, right? It's where it says, um, I think it's in chapter 13 and verse 38, when all that were ordained to eternal life believed. It's a place that we know very well when God is working among the Gentiles, and notice how it says all that were ordained to eternal life believed. It's not that you believe and then you're ordained to eternal life, but that specific place, if you are ordained to eternal life, that's why you can believe. And they're marveling at this, the fact that Gentiles believe in the Messiah. And this is why he quotes from here, that I will do a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told to you. They saw it, they were told about it, yet they did not believe it. And often the will of God in our life and the world surrounding us, what is happening, we see it, we're told of it, yet for some reason we still wonder why. That's the first place where a verse from the book of Habakkuk is mentioned in the New Testament. And these should always be something we should pay attention to. When the New Testament references the Old Testament, we're seeing commentary on the Old Testament, but equally we're seeing the New Testament piece together verses to let us know what this was really about. The second verse that we're going to see that's referenced in the New Testament, this is a very common verse. You'll see in chapter 2 and verse 4, Behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. This is referenced by Paul three different times. It's referenced in Romans, it's referenced in Galatians, and it's referenced in Hebrews. It's referenced three different places when the Apostle Paul is given uh, both how the we are justified by Christ and therefore should live by the faith he has instilled in our hearts. And it's a view that is taking off the back of that prayer. The prayer, how he prays when, then he prays why, and then God tells him, the just, those that are just, shall live by his faith. 
So he moves from being, you know, there are things we don't understand. There are things we will never understand. There are things we see and wonder when and why, Lord, why are you not hearing me? And then it moves directly into the fact that we may not understand, but we do not live by sight. We live by faith. You see, he moves from one to the other. And then the final place in the New Testament that we're uh, though it is not referenced in the New Testament, I believe it to be a prophecy given to us specifically as it transitions into the praise and the psalm and the singing of Habakkuk. He looks there in chapter 3 and verse 13 and says, Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation of the neck. Notice how it says the anointed, as we have very well know that word Christ, Messiah, and anointed are all synonyms for each other. Now, it could be possible that when he says that even for the salvation of thine anointed, he may be speaking of the nation of Israel, which was anointed as a special nation to our Lord, um, not for anything that they had done, but they were specially prepared as a physical nation to worship the God. So in that sense, they were anointed. But every anointing in the Old Testament is simply a miniature of that final anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. So here, when we see, thou wentest forth for the salvation of people, even for the salvation with thine anointed, he connects it with thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked. Again, connecting it, I believe, to Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, when her seed would bruise the serpent's head. And so the anointed here, I believe, being a prophecy of Jesus Christ, giving us a reason that we can live by faith. You see, though we don't understand what is going on around us, and though we're commanded to live by faith, without the object of our faith, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, who has given us an image of defeating death, defeating sin, defeating every enemy, ultimately, one day, destroying the wicked, we can though we don't understand it, though there's a work around us that we don't fully comprehend, though we ask when and God answers and now we ask why, and then we're commanded to live by faith. The way that we live by faith is understanding this final principle that God has brought salvation through his anointed. Whatever happens, Whatever comes, whatever we don't understand, however many times we may say God is so good, so powerful, yet why do bad things happen? We can look one more time and say, even though I don't understand, my faith is directed towards thine anointed. And I know that he does do all things well. And ultimately, everything that I experience that is bad I don't have to look and say this theodicy, as it were, bad things happening and God is so good. Why does it? I don't have to do that. I can turn my mind, my heart, my soul to the ultimate good and know that God will fix it in the end. Wrestling with God and embracing and comfort that truth. Habakkuk had a burden. He wrestled, he embraced the people of God, and he embraced this truth and saying praises finally, as he says in verse 18 of chapter 3, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Praise God for this truth. I look forward to continuing and having us study this book 
as we see this pastoral prophecy of a man wrestling with wickedness around him, God's will in the surroundings, and his place in that. Now let us pray that God would bless the study of this book and also again pray for our good brother who is in need of prayer right now. So let us pray together. Gracious God, thank you, Lord, for giving us an image of Habakkuk's heart, this wrestler and embracer. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this view of an honest man who is burdened with the wickedness around him. Oh, gracious God, if it be your will, we ask first that you would be with Brother Ronnie, that you would watch over him, protect him, and be with Sister Kay. Overwhelm them with a sense of your love and your presence and your providence and your will. And gracious God, I pray that you would let your will be done in their life right now. Give them safety, put a hedge of protection about them. And Lord, whatever happens with them, I pray that you would let your love be felt. Guide those EMTs and the doctors and the nurses. Let your will be done with them and for them. And now, Lord, for ourselves, as we pray at the closing of this service, that you would let your word resonate in our hearts and our souls, that as we wrestle with the same questions that Habakkuk did, we pray, Lord, that you would allow us, through the when and through the why, to be able to direct our faith towards your anointed, that we would be able to live by the faith you have given us in our soul, and, Lord, that knowing that your Christ has purchased salvation and destroyed the head of the wicked, that, Lord, we know that whatever happens in this world, ultimately, you have done all things well. Gracious God, bless this future study as we continue to pursue you through your word. Bless us to be fed by it. Bless us to rejoice in it. And bless us, Lord, to continue to grow in grace and knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name I do pray, and for his glory, and amen.